Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Today is Friday, April 10th, 2020. It is Good Friday. Coming up next on Roller Martin Unfiltered, we have the latest on COVID-19. Remarks by Trump Surgeon General draws ire and fire from people. What he had to say about African-Americans. Was he being racially insensitive? We'll play it for you and judge for yourself. Congressman Benny Thomas of Mississippi joins us talking about the need to address health disparities in the spread of this virus, but also what will Congress do to help black businesses? Critical care specialist Dr. Ebony Hilton will discuss the root causes that make African-Americans more susceptible to coronavirus. Biologist Dr. Joseph Graves will explain why coronavirus is sure to come back. We'll also talk about the impact of COVID-19 on Africa and the Caribbean. All of that next right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Let's go.
folks, nearly 500,000 coronavirus cases in the United States. The number is 489,646. 18,034 people have died from the virus. 26,777 are recovering as a result. Folks, uh, the death toll worldwide has passed more than 100,000. The epicenter of this virus, New York City, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo talks about a potential second wave. Watch this. Be a second wave. Let's look at the countries that have gone through this reopening process and what can we learn from them, right? Well, we have to start to reopen. Let's look at what the other countries who have gone before us, what they did, what worked, and what didn't work. And when you take just a cursory review, you see caution signs. Hong Kong appeared to have the virus under control. They let its guard down. The virus came back. Hong Kong recorded the biggest rise in cases and a new wave of infections. Uh, is that true? Could it happen here? Article yesterday, Italy has seen a bump in the number of cases. Uh, you know, before we take a step, make sure we are more informed and more aware than we were in the past. They're talking about a second wave for Singapore. You go back and you look at the 1918 uh, flu epidemic. That was over 10 months. There was a first wave. There was a second wave. The second wave was worse than the first wave because the virus mutated. Uh, third peak. And the whole experience was 10 months. Well, is there any extrapolation to where we are today? I don't know the answers. This is not what I do. Uh, it's not what a state does. But we know the questions. And we should have the questions answered before we take a step forward. Joining us right now is Congressman Benny Thompson of Mississippi. Congressman, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered. And thank you very much for having me. Um, we have been following what's been happening. You have Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida who is saying, hey, open the schools up because it doesn't look like kids get coronavirus. Today at the news conference, Dr. Fauci actually said, no, people under 25 can indeed get coronavirus. That doesn't make sense. Uh, you're there in Mississippi where you have uh, what I call the second clueless governor in America, Tate Reeves, who ignored local mayors uh, and chose to have all of these businesses open, declared nearly all of them essential businesses. Then all of a sudden we saw an increase there in Mississippi. Now you have Trump talking about, oh, May 1st, May 1st, reopen the government. Is it is it just illogical and nonsensical to be talking about reopening the economy, reopening the country, when you still do not have a handle on this virus? Uh, it is absolutely nonsensical. Uh, we should listen to the health professionals. They are the ones who know how to address uh, this pandemic. The politicians, the majority of the ones you hear talking, uh, Roland, as they say, are talking without the facts. Uh, there's no one in their right mind who feels comfortable enough to put people back in arm's way, given what we're dealing with right now. So uh, the president, Ron DeSantis, uh, Tate Reeves here in Mississippi, and a few other governors, they absolutely have it wrong. So the people should not follow them. Listen to the health professionals. They are the ones who know. 
And obviously, look, I mean, we're all impacted by what's happening economically. Our business is impacted. So many other small businesses, major companies, people, of course, unemployment uh, claims uh, are more than six million. People have no idea. But look, at the end of the day, what we're talking about here is whether or not people are going to be in a situation where they may very well die. I mean, we have these stories of people uh, not showing any symptoms and all of a sudden dying from coronavirus. Uh, some people uh, being impacted uh, two or three days, diagnosed, and then they die. Other people, two or three weeks, and they survive. And so the, the, we, we've had numerous healthcare professionals on this show, on Roland Martin Unfiltered, saying we still do not have a proper handle on this virus in terms of how to spot it. Yesterday, we had an emergency room physician on, and she held up this massive chart to determine how to diagnose someone with the coronavirus. She said, I can't sit here and read this crap. I got to go with my own gut instinct. That's where we still are in America. Well, Roland, we have some other things. There are over 300 million people living in America. We've only tested 2 million. Every health professional you talk to said the best way to get a real handle on it is test everybody here. For some reason, the Trump administration is resistant to this notion of testing. Just as you've indicated, the indicators sometimes say one thing, but to another health professional, they say another. Everybody says testing, testing, testing is the way to go. But we've only done two million. Now, Trump brags and say, oh, we've done two million. That's more than anybody in the world. But that's two million of over 300 million people in your country. Say, get a grip. We absolutely have to do the test. Apart from that, what we have to do now is start targeting where we are sending uh, people in to do the testing, just like Katrina. Well, here's you the know, when, yep. the, when yep. the cavalry comes, they'll come to the suburbs and say, oh, you come out here where we are, we're, not, we're scared, afraid to go in there. Many African-American Latino communities uh, are not being served at this point because the point of decision-making is made by the governors of those respective states. So we're going to have to ramp up getting this done. The Congressional Black Caucus has just taken a position that we're going to go and demand that that FEMA and other agencies step up and do the right thing based on what the data is now saying. And in fact, this is yesterday, Donald Trump, yesterday's news conference, being asked a question specifically about nationwide testing. Here we go. The administration discussed the possibility of reopening the country when the administration does not have an adequate nationwide testing system for this virus. Don't you need a nationwide testing no. system for the virus before you reopen no, We country. have a great testing system. We have the best, right now, the best testing system in the world. But there are certain sections, right now, there are certain sections in the country that are in phenomenal shape already. Other sections are coming online. Other sections are going down. And we, in addition to that, are giving out millions of tests. And every day we're doing it uh, exponentially. We're 
picking up. And what we'll be doing in the very near future is going to certain areas of our country and do massive testing. Uh, it's not necessary, but it would be a good thing to have. Don't you need that, Mr. President, to make sure people are safe going back to work? You don't want to send people back to the workplace. We want to have it, and we're going to see if we have it. Do you need it? No. Is it a nice thing to do? Yes. Uh, we're talking about 325 million people, uh, and that's not going to happen, as you can imagine. And no, it would never happen with anyone else either. Other countries do it, but they do it in a limited form. We'll probably be the leader of the pack. Please. Now, that was yesterday. That was yesterday's uh, answer. Uh, here is him getting a similar question uh, today uh, people, from Jim Acosta. People, Watch this. The job they've done is incredible. And you, you shouldn't be asking that, that kind of a question, Jim, honestly. Country been better okay, look, I, I really don't believe you're that bad again. You shouldn't be asking that kind of a question. You should say, you know what? It's been really incredible what's been happening. Jim, nobody's asking. What governor, let me ask you this. What governor, we have more tests than anybody in the world. We have every, we have virtually every country in the world calling us, asking us, how do we get these tests that you have? Your testing is the best in the world. How do we get it? They've done a fantastic job. And when you ask a question like that, it's very insulting to a lot of great people. Okay, one more, please. These people, the job they That's a flat-out lie. The pe in South Korea, they have actually... T if you look at the population of South Korea compared to the population of the United States, they have tested more people per million. We're not even close. Not even close. He's lying. And, and he does it. He, he, he attacks the press when they try to hold him accountable. But that's just who this guy is. He is a con of the first order. And we are in the midst of a major pandemic. And he's lying every day he gets on, 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 on a press conference. So the Congressional Black Caucus and, and the CARES Act 2, we're going to put some specific... Uh, Markers down for the for the small business, African American uh, owned banks, credit unions to make sure that we get a pro rata share of the money. This notion that well we'll give the money and then it'll work itself out or a rising tide lifts all boats that's not true. It won't happen. We have found out that with this 2.2 trillion dollars, we're struggling to make ends meet in terms of helping businesses. More importantly with that, they fought us tooth and nail on simple things like unemployment insurance. Uh, they said people would be making too much money uh, unemployed. You know, that's this notion that somehow people of color uh, don't want to go to work. Uh, most people go to work every day, work hard, and don't get paid the proper amount. So what we plan to do uh, and one of the good things that happened is Mitch McConnell didn't get his way on the CARES Act, too. And Pelosi, Jim Clyburn, and other people held their ground and said, no, you're not going to throw this price up here and ask us, well, either you're going to support it or you're against this. No, you can do yours, but we're going to bring ours to the table, too. And what Mitch McConnell tried to do was say, well, let's do this one. And then let's do yours next. Oh, come on. Give me a break. So what we plan to do on behalf of the Congressional Black Caucus is fight for black businesses, fight for a greater peace 
of this opportunity path. You know, we had to fight to get houses of worship eligible to get some of this money. Or they tried to say, well, church and state is separate. No, Trump went to court and said churches could endorse candidates. Now you say we don't, we can't deal with churches. Nope. So now houses of worship can participate. But it's still a major effort. We're trying to get community banks uh, more included in the, in, in the next step. We're trying to get CDFI institutions. So we're trying to, to, to fix it. And let me just say, Rose, if any of your audience has any idea on how we can fix it, uh, the Congressional Black Caucus at a minimum, we are absolutely wide open. We want to hear good ideas. Karen Bass is the chair of the Black Caucus. Uh, we're on the phone every day trying to figure this thing out. Because it's a challenge. But apart from that, uh, we're going to do our best to try to hold this renegade in the White House accountable. But the law does not matter, as well as the fact that lying is something he does every day of the week. They, I think they've quit counting uh, the number of times that he lies. My last count said it was 17,000 before the coronavirus hit. I can only imagine what it is now. Congressman Benny Thompson of Mississippi, we certainly appreciate it, sir. Thank you so very much. Thank you for having me. All right, folks, we talked about the whole issue of testing and, uh, uh, and also this impact on African-Americans. Well, again today at the uh, White House coronavirus briefing, it came up, and uh, the Surgeon General, Jerome Adams, uh, made some comments. So we're going to play those comments first, and then we're going to play uh, the, the second part was a question that came from Yamish Alcindor of PBS, where she asked him to clarify uh, those particular comments. And so uh, we want to talk about uh, with uh, our next guest and our panel uh, the issue of testing as well as his comments. And so this is what the Surgeon General Jerome Adams said today. And I want to close by saying that while your state and local health departments and those of us in public service are working day and night to help stop the spread of COVID-19 and to protect you regardless of your color, your creed, or your geography, I need you to know you are not helpless. And it's even more important that in communities of color, we adhere to the task force guidelines to slow the spread. Stay at home if possible. If you must go out, maintain six feet of distance between you and everyone else and wear a mask if you're going to be within six feet of others. Wash your hands more often than you ever dreamed possible. Avoid alcohol, tobacco, and drugs. And call your friends and family. Check in on your mother. She wants to hear from you right now. And speaking of mothers, we need you to do this, if not for yourself, then for your abuela. Do it for your granddaddy. Do it for your big mama. Do it for your pop pop. We need you to understand, especially in communities of color, we need you to step up and help stop the spread so that we can protect those who are most vulnerable. Hmm, that did not quite sit well with a few people. Yabish Alcindor noticed that. She then, later in the news conference, asked this question. Thank you, Mr. Surgeon General. Thank, you. Thank, you, a, thank you. I have a quick question for you. You you said that African Americans and Latinos should avoid alcohol, drugs, and tobacco. You also said do it for your umbrella, do it for Big Mama mm -hmm. and Pop Pop. There are some people already on, too. 
there are some people online that are already offended by that language and the idea that you're saying behaviors might um, be leading to these high death rates. Could you talk about whether or not people, could you, I guess, have a response for people who might be offended by the language that you used? Well, I, I use that language because that's the language. I've been meeting with the NAACP, uh, with the National Medical Association, with others. Uh, I actually talked with, uh, with Derek Johnson multiple times this week the head of the NAACP, and we need targeted outreach to the African-American community, and I use the language that is used in my family. I have a Puerto Rican brother-in-law. I call my granddaddy, granddaddy. I have relatives who call their, their, uh, their grandparents big mama. So that was not meant to be offensive. That's the language that we use and that I use, and we need to continue to target our outreach to those communities. It is critically important that they understand it's not just about them. And I was very clear about that. It's not just about what you do, but you also are not helpless. We need to do our part at the federal level. We need people to do their parts at the state level. And we need everyone, black, brown, white, whatever color you are, to follow the president's guidelines, the coronavirus guidelines, and do their part. Because when I talked to the NAACP three weeks ago, it's important to note that one of the things they asked me was, can you help dispel the myths in this community that, uh, that people actually can't get coronavirus if they're black? That was a myth that was out there that's actually very important for us to squash here. So do you recommend that all Americans avoid tobacco, alcohol, and, and drug use at this Absol time? Absolutely. I, it's especially important for people who are at risk and with comorbidities, but yes, all Americans. So thank you, and I will clarify that. All Americans need to avoid these substances at all times. I put out a smoking cessation report in January. I put out an advisory against youth and pregnant women using marijuana last year, and that was not directed towards any one race. That's everybody needs to do everything they can to be as healthy as possible at this critical time. Dr. Fauci, would you add anything? Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. Would you like to add anything to it? Because you are really, you, you expressed it very beautifully before. No, I mean, I, I, Jerome, you did it beautifully. <laughs> I can't do it any better than that. Uh, and I, I know Jerome personally, and I, I can just testify that he made no, uh, not even a hint of being offensive at all with that comment. I thought that was appropriate. Thanks. And I can tell you, Jerome has done a fantastic job. Our Surgeon General. I just hope nobody steals him and he goes. Gotcha. I don't. I don't care what Trump has to say. Uh, don't give a damn what he has to say. That's why we don't show any of his comments. All right, folks. Joining us right now is Dr. Ebony Jade Hilton, Associate Professor of Anesthesiology and Critical Care Medicine at the University of Virginia. Also on our panel is Dr. Neon B. Carter, Department of Political Science, Howard University. Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali, former senior advisor for environmental justice, EPA, and Rob Richardson, host Disruption Now podcast. All right, Dr. Hilton, I'm going to start with you. First and foremost, I want to deal with you with testing, uh, okay? Donald Trump says, oh, no, look, we don't need any national testing. And he talks about how great we are, how wonderful we are, how we're doing a great job, but the numbers simply show he's a liar. The reality is other countries have done a much better job of testing a higher percentage of their population, and they have a better understanding of this virus than we do. Yes or no? Yes. And that's a full sentence. <laughs> I mean, when we're, when we're talking about testing, it's just like Representative Thompson said. Um, when we're looking at the sheer volume, 2.2 million sounds like a lot of tests. But when you take that into consideration with how many people we have in our population, that's only for 1 million people, 7,000 tests. And I'll tell you the effect of that. If you look at in South Carolina, for instance, where I'm from, 
Right now, the number of confirmed cases that they say they have is about 3,065 confirmed cases. However, if you look at the South Carolina DHEC page, um, they've done a great job, and I want to applaud the people who are actually running this website, because what they say is that we have 3,065 confirmed tests, but we have a total of 21,290 presumed positive people. And the reason why it's presumed positive is these people have symptoms, but they don't have access to the test. And that is a problem. And we're seeing these stories at the Hilton of more people going to the doctor, uh, excuse me, or trying to go to the hospital, getting turned away. Uh, there's a bus driver in Detroit. He ends up dying. A 65-year-old black woman in Atlanta not showing any signs of symptoms. She later dies. Uh, and we're seeing that. And again, all of these promises. Uh, I, again, I'm still trying to figure out where's, where's the drive-through testing that was promised at CVS and Walgreens and Walmart and using these parking lots. And so, and, and, so, and then Trump's like, no, we're not going to do it, we're not going to do it, we're not going to do it. And so we're sitting here, and to be perfectly honest, I think most people, we have no idea who the hell has it. And it's just, and, and, and the people who say, well, this is, this is no different than the flu, no, guess what? If I see you hacking, wheezing, coughing, I'm like, keep your ass on that side of the room, okay? Right. With this, you can't tell if somebody has it. Exactly. And that, that truly is one of the problems that we see. And what we know, too, what we have to take in, into consideration is they oftentimes say, oh, stay at home, as if people have their privilege of being able to stay at home. One in every five African-Americans literally cannot do a remote work. They can't take their, um, their work home with them. And we know that just like this virus kills, so does poverty. And if I cannot feed and keep shelter over my family, if I don't have a choice in that, then what do you expect me to do? You know, this, this administration has lied on many different levels. Um, but even as far as two days ago, they made an announcement that they were gonna start to hold federal funding for these drive-through testings. And we haven't even reached a peak in, in New York at this point. You know, we keep saying we've reached this peak, and yet they had the highest death count yesterday, and their, and their counts are still climbing. So we haven't reached a peak. So how are you even attempting to consider withholding funding for drive-through testing? It is absolutely negligent, and we need people. And, and when I say people, I expect um, Dr. Fauci. I expect Dr. Adams, who is also a fellow anesthesiologist, um, I expect you to hold truth to truth. We took an oath to first do no harm. And so we cannot dance around the truth. We have to start stating it as a, as a fact and put a period on the end of it and then stop the sentence. Uh, I want to ask you this. I'm going to bring in my panel uh, after you respond to this. And so you heard what the Surgeon General Drone Adams said there uh, when the question came up regarding African-Americans. And then he, then he makes this point about don't do drugs, don't do alcohol, things along those lines. Then Yamish asked him, because a lot of people have been offended. In fact, this is what Reverend William Dr. Barber uh, said in a video that he posted immediately after hearing these comments. Hello, Roland, and to all of your audience. Let me first of all, Roland, thank you for what you continue to do to push truth and justice uh, throughout this country and literally throughout the world. You know, we are in a difficult moment, and I wanted to come on today as a pastor and as a bishop first, um, as we examine where we are. I, I was deeply troubled today 
uh, when the Surgeon General uh, constantly uh, tried to use and invoke the name of the NAACP as he suggested to black people that the reason we are dying and ha catching this uh, virus more than others uh, has to do with our need to stop drinking and smoking tobacco and um, uh, using drugs uh, and not addressing the evils and the drugs and the drunkenness that America has had with racism and with inequality. And the fact of the matter is that Trump, Pence, and many of the other Republican governors and legislators have actually exacerbated the denial of health care all over this country, the denial of living wages, the very thing that public health PhDs, public health specialists tell us that the pandemic spreads through the fissures and the wounds that have been created by historic racism and the criminalization of poverty. Uh, we cannot stand for that. Um, I, I hope that, and I've said that to the leadership of the NAACP, that they can't use us like that and wrongfully use it. I know that's not our position, but to attempt to do that on worldwide TV is ugly, uh, and to attempt to do it as an African-American is, is beyond a disrespect. And for Pence and Trump to buy into it, it doesn't matter how many African-American leaders they may have talked to today, that, which they claim they did, uh, they talked and did not listen. And they really believe that they can continue to disrespect uh, our communities, even in the face of dying. Now, in addition to that, I wanted to all right, so I'm going to hold those comments. He has some additional comments about churches uh, this weekend. I'm going to hold those comments. Uh, but, Doc, your thoughts on what he had to say? And again, Surgeon General, did, did, he, did he slip up? Did he make a mistake? Was it smart to later have to walk that back and clarify it? No, um, it wasn't a slip up or a mistake. It was it was stated. Um, and I, I took offense to it personally. Um, and several different things. For one, Dr. Fauci and President Trump, you can't tell if you're not the targeted population of an insult, then you can't tell us whether or not we can be offended by it. Point number two uh, being that African-Americans typically are always given this stereotype that it's our lifestyle choices that are leading to us having these um, incidences of worse outcomes in health. But yet, we at this point have a national crisis of an opioid epidemic, and it's not treated in the same way, and it's not spoken to in the negative light in the same way as what impacted the black and brown community. The third point was that he mentioned that he talked to the NAACP three weeks ago. Now, three weeks ago, we were dealing with deaths of maybe 500. Today, we have deaths of over 18,000. And so if you haven't reached back out to the NAACP or the uh, Congressional Black Caucus, of which I've been in, in contact with Congressman, uh, Congresswoman Bass and um, Representative um, uh, Robin Kelly, who've been absolutely fantastic, um, they literally hold town hall meetings pretty much every week. There's something going on of where they're trying to reach the constituents to say, what do you need so we can form these policies? So if you haven't reached out to these groups in three weeks, then I'm gonna need you to go ahead and make a schedule. And then the final, the final point is you cannot talk about all these comorbidities that they are linking to and saying we're at higher risk for. You can't talk about those unless you are willing to also get on that stage and point out and address the systemic racism that has set up every platform. And if we're talking about drugs and alcohol and, and the lack of, um, of mental and social support, then talk about the fact that we don't have any hospitals and clinics that are put into our communities. Talk about the fact that 
if we're talking about these chronic respiratory um, illnesses and asthma that our children are dealing with, then talk about the fact that industries are targeted towards the black and brown and the lower income um, level communities and polluting our air and polluting our water. If you're going to talk about hypertension and diabetes and obesity, talk about the fact that there's no sidewalks within our community or that there's no eateries and we have this food apartheid where we can't buy any fresh food and, and, and groceries. But we can go to the corner store because that's all that was put there from the redlining from 1930s on. So including from his um, his president. So if we're talking about all those things, I hold Dr. Adams responsible as a fellow anesthesiologist for one. Um, but I hold him responsible as take away my white coat. At the end of the day, I'm a black woman trying to do what's best for my black community. And what I know about black people is that we're honest people. We work hard to promote community at all fronts. We've always banded together to take care of ourselves and to take care of not only ourselves, but other people. And to suggest that we are the cause of our own hurts and not that we are the victims of the system that was set up for us to fail in the first place, I feel like it's personally a slap to the face to the African-American community that will always be there to support you. Dr. Niambe Carter, your thoughts? I mean, similar to the doctor, I mean, I thought that was very irresponsible. And even the way he framed it as if, um, if you do these things, then this disease will go away. And we know that's not how virus, that isn't how viruses work. And I think the insult was like the big mom and the abuela, like, don't try to use this sort of code switching languages if black people and Latino people and other people don't understand what you're saying. We know that shelter in place is important, but we also know that black people have jobs most of the time that they can't telework. So they're going to be um, at work. They're going to be on public transportation more often. They're going to go back to communities that don't have access to adequate health care facilities. And we know that there's also, on the other side of that, physicians and others who are making decisions about who these people are and whether they're worthy of tests and whether they'll be compliant and all these other things. And I think for him to say it this way was just ir really irresponsible and almost single Black folks out. Because as the doctor rightly points out, we're talking about lots of other communities that use illicit substances way more than Black folks. And yet, you didn't tell them to stop using their drugs, to stop drinking, um, and to stop smoking to stem the spread of this virus. And I think the health issue is 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 being lost in all of this because you don't want to take responsibility for ultimately why these communities are finding themselves sicker and dying more often from this disease than other folks. Uh, you know what, uh, Mustafa, it's very interesting uh, when you when, when you talk about that early before I came on, uh, Rex Chapman, of course, former NBA star, uh, he, he posts these different funny videos. And so there was a guy who, who went jogging. And he's, he's showing these videos of all his neighbors. And they, it was recycling day. And he's showing all the alcohol. I want to play this video before Mustafa and Rob comment, because to Dr. Carter's point uh, is that yeah, I don't recall them telling anybody as part of the guidelines don't don't drink. But now just black people, just us. And again, this is from a non-drinker, so it ain't like I drink. But but just watch the video. Watch this. Guys, I'm out for a little run in the neighborhood. It's recycling day. <laughs> Wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> When's it gonna stop? Yo, I don't know. Working from home. 
All right, guys, what do we think? That counts. Now I'm just dying to know. <laughs> what the hell's going on? So the year was 2020 and everybody was just fucking ham sauced. They seem like nice people. Very respectable. Let's find out. Yeah. Guilty as charged. You know, we worked from home. We did a lot of home workout videos. Your mother got on my nerves and... Oh, by the way, we got... Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Guys, I'm out for a little run in the neighborhood. It's recycling day. So again, Mustafa, I mean, this guy showed all his alcohol. Surgeon General, you might want to say this a month ago. Go ahead. You know, it, 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 I don't even sometimes uh, honor some of the foolishness that comes out of these people's mouths. They, they you know, we have public officials who've made uh, alcohol, you know, the places that sell it, essential businesses for a reason, so that folks could be medicated, so folks wouldn't pay as much attention to the challenges that are in front of us, so that we don't get engaged more in the process. And, and when he talks about behaviors, what he should have shared with the country was that, yes, behaviors are, um, you know, what is helping to drive some of this, but the behaviors have actually been by the president when he decided to get rid of the pandemic office, has been from the president when he decided to cut uh, the funding for affordable housing so that folks don't have options and don't have to live in generational housing. When the president decided that they weren't going to take care of these 20 million people who live in medically underserved areas and physician deserts. And remember, these choices were being made when the economy was supposed to be booming, but they decided not to move forward. What they do move forward on is rollbacks at the Environmental Protection Agency so that more pollution will actually go into communities, our most vulnerable communities, who then have these chronic medical conditions, who then are more likely uh, to, you know, have to deal with these impacts that are happening from COVID-19. There's a laundry list of behaviors that have happened from this administration that have put people in a much more deadly situation. Rob. Yeah, look, um, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna repeat what everybody said about Dr. Adams. I think it's very clear the brother messed up, and he was very wrong in what he said, very clearly. I would just say that um, the one legitimate point that he made, because everybody, I agree with every point that was made in terms of the s systemic reasons of, of why we find ourselves there. First point, just for the brother, list, don't 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 write down and say everything they tell you. Stop. You know, it's not it's not necessary, especially <laughs> if it's tough, right? First point. Uh, Second point, he did make one legitimate point about uh, this myth that a lot of black people that I heard did believe that we couldn't get it initially. I heard that this article was circulating, well, black people don't get it as much. So, and, and lots of people saying, well, we don't have to worry about it as much. So that is something, that's the only legitimate thing he actually well, said. But, and, right, well, first of all, he, but, and here's the piece. First of all, you know, we've done our part here to knock that crap down. Here, here's right. here's what happened. First of all, it was stupid from the beginning, but here's what happened. No, it was. Here's what I happened. Like one more point after you're well, done. No, no, you can, I want you to finish your point, but here's what happened. Early on, what happened was people saw the lack of infections in Africa. Right. What they didn't understand is that anybody who has traveled to Africa, you have limited flight options to African nations. So, for instance, if I want to go to Paris, France, I can go book me a ticket get my passport, go to the airport, hop on a plane, go to Paris, France, we're good. I just can't do that if I want to go to Ghana. I got to get the visa. Right. And so it was, then it began, so you had limited for people who were traveling from Europe, from China, 
And, but we now see the cases in Ghana, in Senegal, in South Africa, because you begin to see this thing there. And so it was nonsense. People were saying Absolutely. that. And there's still people who are making these crazy comments. And so well, that's, that's why we keep knocking down the conspiracy theories and, you know, and all these other people, you know, who pop up and do a show. Not, no, no. We've been on right. this every day for a month for the, precisely this reason. Go ahead, Rob. Yeah, and, and we really have to do that because, to your point, when, when a lie travels a thousand times, it takes 5,000 times for the truth to actually overtake it. So we have to keep repeating this over and over and over again. Not only do black people get it, we're more susceptible, clearly, so do not believe this myth. So I think that's the only thing I take uh, relevant from what he said. The final point I want to make this, this is, though, is another example of... Uh, the most negative stereotypes being used against African-Americans. And we saw this play out, I would say, here in Cincinnati, Ohio. You might have seen this guy. There was one person who was the brother who did some ignorant stuff, started a huge party, said, we don't worry about corona. He got yeah, a bunch no, we, we, of we, showed, we, we showed the video right I'm here. Sure you did. And he I'm got sure arrested. Did, right? I was Cincinnati. I was right down the street from where I live, where I used to live just like a month ago. Anyway, he did that. And they sent him to prison. But here's what I want. I want equal, I want equal enforcement. We have a big church called Solid Rock that is a mostly white church, and they're holding service in spite of the stay-at-home uh, orders. So if we're going to send him to jail, I think these people trying to use faith is really foolishness. They need to go to jail, too. I'm glad you brought that, uh, the faith issue up. I want to play the rest of what Reverend William Barber had to say, and I want to talk to Doc uh, about that, because, you know, we have been really trying uh, to make the point all week, hashtag Easter at home, hashtag Resurrection Sunday at home. This is Holy Week. I totally understand. You know, today's Good Friday. Uh, you have Resurrection Sunday, but the reality is uh, churches can, uh, can very well be incubators of coronavirus. So here's the rest of the comments from Reverend Dr. William, Day William Barber, and I'm going to come back uh, with Doc to get her thoughts and talk about this as well. Say today. I wanted to say today to our churches and our other religious bodies in the black community, let's not be fooled in this moment. Social distancing and not gathering in our congregation has nothing to do with faith, nothing to do with our spirituality. It is actually being faithful to the gospel and faithful to the word. When um, the children of Israel, the Hebrew people, had to deal with a pharaoh, a narcissistic pharaoh, God actually told them, social distance yourself. Go in, in your own homes. Let us remember that. Let us remember that the greatest revival, uh, one of the greatest in the Old Testament, didn't take place in a temple. It uh, uh, took place in the valley of dry bones. Let us not forget that when God said about where he would be present, he said, where two or three are gathered in my name. Let us not forget that in the church of the New Testament, the church of Acts, the church met in the house, met in the home. Let us remember that our ancestors who were African-American slaves, uh, uh, many of them, they had no houses of worship to go to. And they were in many ways deep, more deeply spiritual than we are. If you looked at the recent movie about Harriet Tubman, her sanctuary was a tree. Uh, her sanctuary was inside of a hut that was meant to be a place of of, of, um, of, 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 of oppression. And she turned it into a place of power. Um, and then let us remember that Jesus, in his last week with us, Jesus went in the temple, overturned the tables and the greed in the temple, but he spent his time in Bethany, 
in the house of the poor and the hurting and the broken. And also Jesus has said to us that to love God is to love God, but to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if we love one another, we will not put one another at risk during the midst of this pandemic. Somebody said to me, but I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. But if you're covered in the blood of Jesus, we will not tempt Jesus. And if we're covered in the blood of Jesus, you must be covered in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And the wisdom of the Holy Spirit would say to us, let's find ways to be virtual and digital. And if your church doesn't have it, since we are all going to the same heaven eventually, partner with another congregation. This is not the time for us to be selfish. At our congregation, we have been online for Bible study, and we've actually had an increase in the number of people attending Bible study. We've been online for worship. And, 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 and we have last Sunday had 32,000 people join us for worship, more than we could ever fit inside of the sanctuary because we're putting our attention now on using uh, those things that are available to us. Let us be creative in this moment. Too often the prince of the air has stolen the airways. Let us take them back over, over. but let us not, let us please not put people at risk. I had a pastor say, but what about my offerings? Well, you said you serve a God who has cattle on a thousand hills and you've been preaching to your people, God will provide. And if you protect the people, guess what? After the pandemic, they'll be still be here and, and be able to give and God will restore what this time of pandemic has taken away. But please do not put people at risk. We cannot be mad with the president for not um, calling for the, a, a lockdown. We cannot be mad with the irresponsibility of this president and his team, Pence and others, and all of the things they did not do to address this pandemic. And then we turn around as moral leaders and be just as irresponsible. Faith in this moment. Remember what Jesus said. He said, it is one thing to believe but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Our people have the kind of spirituality that they don't have to see a crowd or see a church pew or see a pulpit to believe and to worship. And so let us find ways through digital and mobile to do that and let us preserve the life and the well-being of our people. We, I ask you this as a pastor, as a bishop, as your friend, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Doc, here's the thing that I find to be interesting. I'm listening to all of these people. I, I, I follow some people on social media, and they're whining, and they're complaining. Oh, my God. Florida only has 705 cases. It's a state of 21 million. And why is the whole state shut down? And California, and we, we, we should just open it all back up. The reason when you hear the mitigation, when you reason, when, reason when you hear people talking about we're getting to the flattening part, is because of those measures. I, I, I just don't like like what is required to get it through the heads of people, or maybe you just don't even waste your time with that. You just keep the hammer down as long as you need to, in order to deal with this uh, pandemic. I mean, it's one of those things. Like I said, to give a, a representation. In South Carolina, you can look at the numbers and say, oh, there's only 3,000 people that's confirmed positive. 
But when the South Carolina um, Department of Health goes a step further and says, well, we presume 21,000 at least are positive, we just don't have the testing to in order to, to do that at this point, that tells you how wide of a gap. And so before people start to, to rely on these numbers, just remember that we're not testing people. You know, I, I appreciate the, um, the man of God's words. I oftentimes go back to thinking about Noah and the ark of where God said and told Noah to let the people know, I'm going to send the, the flood. And you may not see the raindrop yet, but it's coming. And in the South in particular, we have to remember when we're looking at the numbers of New York, New York City alone has 62 hospitals, right? In South Carolina, one, more than one out of every five counties don't have a hospital. And so the massive effect that it's going to have across the South, when you think about the impact that poverty has across the South, it's going to get us in ways that we are not prepared for. And if you look at, for instance, I've been keeping a close eye on Georgia. Um, speaking of going to church, there were a couple funerals that were had and people went to these funerals and the last I count, there yep. were three different funerals yep. of where the attendees, someone was infected and it spread like wildfire. Albany, Georgia. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Albany, Georgia. Yeah, and what we now know, so we, we talk about a reproductive num uh, reproduction number, which is just how contagious something is. So for the flu, that number is for every one person, you have the potential to infect 1.3 persons. For this coronavirus, we're now, because we're just getting to know it, we're now saying for every one person, you infect four. <laughs> so within a 30-day span, this one person, because of that, you getting in touch with four people and them getting in touch with four more people, within that one-month span, one person could end up infecting a million people. That is that is what we're facing. And what we're going to see is that the spring breakers that just now left the beaches of Florida that they didn't want to close and Georgia coast that they didn't want to close, those spring break children, uh, our young adults, um, left the breach and then went back to these small town Americas. And the incubation time is anywhere between two days to 14 days. So we're going to see within these next few few weeks just how much of a reproduction number is too much. Um, and there's going to be a lot of devastation, I fear, across the South related to this. And so the best thing that we can do is start to prepare like yesterday. Well, that was a uh, that was a man in New York uh, who told his son, don't go on spring break. And the son ignored him. When the son came back, dad locked his ass at the house. Dad said, no, no, no. Dad said, I told your ass don't go. He said, you can't come back in the house, me and your mama. And hell, and he wasn't black. He was a white dude. He's like, no, you can't come back in. Right. I have a nephew who I'll give a little shout out to, Jaya Guest. Um, love my nephew to life. He is 22 years old. Um, he had to go for work um, and went up to Charlotte and came back home. And I said, you know, you can't go into my sister's house and you can't go into my mom's house. So right now with school being out, I'm not sure where you're going to go. But you can't potentially infect someone else. You have to quarantine yourself. And it and I think that helped to snap him into um, into reality of like, oh, because again, it's been mixed signals on the TV and it means it leaves it very confusing, um, particularly to the younger generation who at this time still feel really invincible. But what we know is that this this coronavirus has claimed the life of a six week old child, our baby, a 10 month old infant, um, 12 year old children, and that 30% of those that are in the hospital right now between the ages of 20 and 44. This is this is costing the life of some really 
young people. Absolutely. Dr. Ebony Jade Hilton, Associate Professor of Anesthesiology and Critical Care Medicine at the University of Virginia. We sure appreciate it. Look forward to having you back on the show a lot more. Thank you. Be glad to have it. <laughs> All right, folks. Got to go to our panel. We come back. We're going to talk with Professor North Carolina A&T. Could we be preparing or need to prepare for a second wave of coronavirus? That's next right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, while there's a flattening of the curve in some areas, the virus continues to spread in others. Everyone is looking forward to getting back to life as usual, but scientists believe that COVID-19 might come back again soon. The coronavirus mutates and continues to return in different iterations. COVID-19 is just the latest example. Joining us again, Dr. Joseph L. Graves, Professor of Biological Sciences at North Carolina A&T. Uh, and we still, of course, have our panel here, Dr. Neon Bay Carter, uh, Mustafa Santiago Ali, as well as Rob Richardson. All right, Dr. Graves, we all got questions for you. What the hell? This thing might come back in a different form? What's the deal? Okay, so um, one of the things you have to understand about coronavirus is that it's an RNA-based virus. Now, um, for, for your listeners and viewers, usually the way um, biology works is that DNA makes an RNA, which makes a protein. But in the RNA viruses, you first have an RNA strand, which then makes a DNA strand um, in your cells, which then goes on to make the, its RNA and the proteins of the virus. Now, um, in this process, there are two enzymes that make this possible. First is what's called an RNA-dependent um, RNA polymerase, which is an enzyme that basically puts the RNA parts together. And there's also an RNA-dependent DNA polymerase, which is the enzyme that puts the DNA together. Now, in the RNA viruses, neither of these um, sequences, none, none of these enzymes have a proof-checking ability. So in our cells and bacteria cells, when RNA polymerase and DNA polymerase work, they usually have a basically a spell check that determines that the sequence is okay. RNA viruses don't have that, so they have very high mutation rates. Now, what we know about coronavirus so far is that it doesn't have as high a mutation rate as influenza, which is another RNA virus, but it's still going rather strong. I'm, since the virus was first identified in December, there are now 50, over 5,300 genomes, meaning 5,300 variants of the virus that are present worldwide. Now, some of these variants are going to be milder, and that probably is what explains why there are some people who have mild cases of, of the corona um, disease and aren't, you know, aren't showing really terrible symptoms, but then there are some that are really bad and those are the ones that are killing people really quickly. So, you know, since, you know, anytime you replicate a genetic code, mutations occur, um, this virus is going to come back again. Um, and we already have evidence 
that um, the southern hemisphere, which is now headed towards winter, is beginning to see outbreaks of coronavirus there. Northern hemisphere is heading towards summer. In the summertime, we expect that high humidity and high temperature is going to act to inactivate this virus and slow down its, its spread. So the long and short answer um, is yes, the virus is going to come back again. So the, the, the defense is going to be developing a vaccine, and you want to make the vaccine from parts of the virus that change really slowly, and also you want to attack um, portions of the virus in terms of drug therapy that are crucial. And, and those two areas are an enzyme that's called its main protease. And this, this portion of the virus is what breaks down your proteins. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a portion of the virus, which is the polymerase, which puts the RNA and DNA together. Both of those can be attacked by drugs, by antiviral drugs. But we're still about 18 months away from having a vaccine or from having drug treatments that work. Wow. Well, we had, um, uh, of course, we had a, a doctor on from Harry who said that the shortest, he said, look, everybody keeps talking about even 18 months. He said the shortest we've ever had a vaccine created was six years. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about something that we're really sure it's going to work, it's going to take longer. I mean, clearly, because we're in an emergency um, situation, people are working on this all out. Right. But the earliest I've seen for projections of a virus, uh, of a vaccine are 18 months. And again, because of the, the coronavirus is going to evolve, um, that means that the vaccines are going to, again, need to be updated as new mutations occur and wow. possibly change parts of the virus that the vaccine is recognizing. Well, my panel, my panel has some questions for you. I'm first to start this round. Mustafa, what's your question for Doc? Doc, yes. Um, so what you've been sharing with us is, you know, this, this cyclical process that goes on uh, with these viruses. But we should also sort of highlight for folks, or I guess the question is, uh, we know South Korea has had a, a good testing system in place. You know, they were able to, to get their people in alignment. We know ten, a little over 10,000 folks died. Uh, about 200, excuse me, 200 people died. 10,000 folks were impacted. But uh, recently, there's been new information that's come out that's shown that over 100 people have now gotten reinfected. Um, now, of course, there's other, um, you know, analysis that has to be done. But uh, what do you, what, what's your take on that? Well, reinfection would suggest to me that they were infected by a new variant of the coronavirus. So your immune system, you know, when it, when it develops antibodies, it develops, it's not, it's not clear what it's going to develop antibodies to. Most likely it's going to be those spike proteins that allow them to enter our cells. Um, but again, mutations occur in those spike proteins and essentially, they're changing themselves so that the immune response doesn't see them anymore. So, and it's really important for, for your listeners and viewers to understand that, you know, if you get sick with coronavirus and you recover, that is not a guarantee that the, when the next wave of coronavirus comes around, that you're going to have immunity. Some people will, some people won't. Dr. Carter. 
Hi, Dr. Grace. Thank you again. This is always an, um, important when we hear you. Um, I'm curious about reopening the country. So we hear all this conversation, particularly from the president and others, that they want to go back to business as usual. But it seems like we're still on the front end of this thing and not on the back end. And there will still be moments where this reoccurs. What do you think we should be doing? Because the country will reopen at some point. Should we give up handshakes and, and all these usual ways of greeting? Like, what do you think this post-COVID life is going to look like, or at least a a life with COVID? What does that look like? I'm, essentially, and this is something, again, I think in the last uh, you know segment of the show I was on, I, I mentioned to people that, number one, people in my field have been predicting that these pandemics would be arising in greater frequency um, due to the current conditions in which human beings live. So we really need to rethink how our societies work. So you know, sort of the, the daily um, okay. you know, habits and cultural things, certainly, you know, I think handshaking should probably go the wayside of the dodo. In other words, we should find new ways to greet each other because with you know, uh, infectious disease that can be transmitted by touch to your eyes, nose, uh, etc. Um, we want to limit the number of times that we touch people or services that could be infected. That's gonna be hard. That's gonna be hard for those of us in fraternities giving each brothers the grip, Doc. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? I mean, we hell. Can, we can Doc, we got certain ways to check to see if you're really an alpha. So I'm just saying. <laughs> I know, but I'm saying, you know, we can learn how to do fist bumps. We got to ask questions, then, man. You got to ask questions. I don't know. All right, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Get no, no, go ahead. Go, go ahead, finish your comment. Go ahead. On this. Go ahead. Yeah, and, but I think there are more fundamental things that are going to need to change. And again, you may remember, you know, back when we talked the first time, I warned about particularly vulnerable segments of this population and how they were going to bear the brunt of sickness and death in this disease. Okay, I talked about how African-Americans and other people who are uh, marginalized and underserved were going to, to die at higher rates. And that's exactly what we're seeing now. I talked about the danger of what's going to happen with people that are incarcerated. So we see now that the most number of infections in North, of, in, at least in the United States, are in Cook County Jail. So... We need to rethink how, how this society operates. And, and I was on a call yesterday um, that was sponsored by the Hutchins Center at Harvard with Professor David Williams, um, and he showed the many ways in which the historical um, health disparities that particularly um, African-Americans suffer from in the society were essentially the preamble for what we were going to see with uh, corona disease. So we need to address these fundamental structural things which lead to the spread of pandemics and disproportionately target people of color in the United States. So if anything comes out of this, this epidemic, uh, which is good, it's going to be the realization that, that this country must address these longstanding structural uh, racism which leads to differential health outcomes for people of color. Rob, last question. Go ahead. 
Uh, Dr. Graves, two quick questions. One, I just want to make sure I have a point of clarification because I learned something new that I didn't know today. Your 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 theory or what what you have is that there are different strands, and the ones that somebody somebody that may have recovered quickly might have caught a milder strand, where the people that are either have more severe symptoms or, or died caught a different mutation of the actual coronavirus. Is that is that is that correct? I want to make sure that that's okay, clear. Yeah. And if that's, they're, they're always, and if that's clear, what are we doing about like how do we do we have any data on the, the more severe cases and how they're being spread? That's the first question. The second question has to do with vaccines versus treatments, because I've, I've talked to some doctors and they're saying they, as kind of rolling hit it, we may not get a vaccine. There's been other similar viruses to this that we still don't have vaccines for. I think Ebola, we don't, but we have treatment for. Talk about the real difference between treatment versus vaccine and what that might mean too. Okay, so what, what we know about um, corona in general with regards to um, how it makes people sick is when you compare the sequence of the, of the spike protein on COVID-2 2019 versus the previous COVID that came out you know, near the turn of the, of the uh, millennium and the bat coronaviruses that they're derived from this new one has mutations in that spike protein that make it really good in terms of latching on to the um, ACE2 receptor on our cells. Now, ACE2 is angiotensin-converting enzyme that's involved in regulating blood pressure. Um, so clearly the ones that are going to be the most virulent are you're probably going to see these mutations in that spike protein that allows them to gain entry into our cells, but there, there may be other factors involved, like the again the protease, which allows it to cleave proteins, etc. So with 5,300 variants um, at present, I don't know which of these variants are the most dangerous um, compared to the mild ones. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be a range of variation in infectious diseases between the the mild strains and the killer strains. Now, uh, even though this may sound terrible, in one sense, the killer strains are more likely to burn themselves out because they're going to kill the people they infect. And if we have uh, those uh, individuals isolated, we have social distancing, then those killer strains should go extinct, which would favor through time the milder strains. But with the milder strains still existing, there's always the possibility that they're going to acquire a mutation that converts one of them into a killer strain, which is why the cycling is something that we're going to see for some time. So going on to this question of vaccine, this is also why um, creating a vaccine is difficult. Um, one, because it takes a great deal of time to test it in a way that makes you confident that that vaccine is actually protecting people. And the other thing is that the viruses themselves continue to evolve. And so therefore a vaccine that like for the case of the influenza virus, we get a shot one season, which we predict, you know, using bioinformatic methods is going to protect us and it protects some of us, but doesn't protect all of us. But then the next season of influenza, we have to get another uh, vaccine. So vaccines again, um, are difficult to come by, and in the case of these RNA viruses, their sustainability is always going to be an issue. Now, in terms of treatment, 
that's where we want to find antiviral drugs. And particularly, we want drugs that attack um, molecules that are specific to viruses. One of the reasons why I'm not a big fan of Trump's idea, this anti-malarial drug, is because malaria has the same cell structure as we do, which means it may work to stop the replication of the virus in some people, but in other people, it will be less effective, and it also the side effects may make them really sick. So what we really want with regard to treatments are compounds that are specific to viral proteins and can tell the difference between a viral protein and your proteins. And um, what I understand is there is movement in the direction towards these treatments. But again, we're at the at minimum 18 months out before we have a treatment. And then there's a the question of uh, doing case control studies to be sure that these tra- treatments are in fact working and that they, again, their side effects are not specific with regards to targeting any one group of people, which can also happen. Well, you know, that, I'm, sure, I'm glad you made that point because uh, all these conservatives have been making a big deal uh, out of this black woman, uh, a state rep uh, out of uh, Michigan, who's a Democrat, uh, who said that hydroxychloroquine uh, was used and it saved her life. Trump sent a tweet out saying she thought she was dead. I think she'll be voting for me now. Uh, and again, they had her on Laura. And that's some live BS. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, and, I don't care. If Trump could save my life, I still would never vote for that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is what she said. Quote, uh, here we go to my iPad. For me, it saved my life. I can only go by what it is that I have gone through and what my story is, and I can't speak for anyone else. So that's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm only speaking for myself. And, 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 and the bottom line is here is that, it's, it's, uh, you know, that look, this, she says that this saved her life. And, you know, these folks say, see, that's it. That's why Trump's pushing it. That's why he's right. It saved this black woman's life. Everybody should take it. But you're saying this is, that is the last thing in the world to do. And we've had doctors on here saying, I would not prescribe this. Yeah, I mean, again, it's an anti-malarial, which means it attacks um, cellular components that are the same as ours. So it may, in fact, by chance alone, and, and that's really what we're saying, that that woman, blind, dumb luck, that that anti-malarial drug happened to stop the replication of our COVID viruses. And there's absolutely no guarantee, especially given that all human beings are different. And we have, as I said, 53, over 5,300 viral genomes that have been sequenced, meaning there's a great deal of variety within the COVID strains themselves. So that hydroxychloroquine might work for a few of those strains, but there's absolutely no way that you would ex- expect or predict that it's going to work for all of them. And I, and I would go further to say it was, again, probably only going to work for a minority of them. And that's why what we want in terms of a treatment is an antiviral drug. Not a blind, dumb luck from malaria drug. Dr. Joseph Graves, professor of bio- biological sciences at North Carolina A&T. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. And folks, this, this is precisely why 
uh, we have this show while we need it to have experts like Dr. Graves uh, Jr. come on this show, uh, showcasing that knowledge and the expertise. Uh, we've been doing this every single day, so we need you to support us, what we do. Uh, you can hit us up via Cash App, of course, dollar sign RM Unfiltered, uh, via PayPal as well. Join our Bring the Funk fan club. Your support helps us make this possible. And again, we have had some phenomenal African-Americans being able to showcase their knowledge. And for some reason, the other networks, they don't call them, but we seem to know how to get their phone number and put them yeah, on. I, and stuff. I, I, I wanted to say that too, Roland. Go ahead. What I notice on CNN, which I watch every morning, they seem to find all sorts of African-American celebrities to put on, but they don't seem to know how to find African-American scientists and, and medical practitioners to put on. Well, look, it's not that hard. I know a whole bunch of celebrities, uh, but you've seen very few celebrities on this show in the last month talking about coronavirus because uh, if, if I'm concerned about my health, uh, I'm not calling a damn actor. You can play one on TV. You can play a doctor or a scientist on TV, but I'm not calling you. Uh, and that, that, that is the case, you know. And so what I keep telling people, you know, we've got, I mean, we, it's, we've been able to find them. I mean, we've been able to find you, and look, we've even said to you, look, if there are others who you suggest we should have on, send us those names, we'll do so, uh, because we need more information, and when African-Americans are getting information from African-Americans, we are trusting that information more uh, than, than some other people. And I can't speak for the Surgeon General, but some other people we, we actually trust. Dr. Gray, yeah, I appreciate can't agree with you more, Roland. I appreciate it, sir. Thanks a lot. All right, good night. All right, folks. Th this is, I'm going to go back to my panel here. Uh, the, the, the thing that, uh, and I want, I'm going go to go, go to this trust issue, and I would love to get your thoughts on this because, and even pick up on that point that, that he said there. I, I just think that, that at some point, we as black people have got to stop falling for the okie doke, which they force us in, where some, where every time it's, it, let me, let me phrase this, and, I, and I'm, not try, I'm not trying to diss other black media outlets, but I think, what, I think what has happened is we've fallen for this whole deal that unless a black celebrity is talking to us about something, Dr. Carter, that we're not smart enough to listen. Um, I'm not, and, and, and let, me just be, let me just be clear, like, look, last night, you know, Diddy, his folks, they had the state of emergency on Revolt. Uh, it was on their YouTube channel. I'm not sure it was on the, uh, over the air as well. And there were a ton of celebrities who were on there. And I was looking at it, and I was kind of like, but where are the scientists? Where are the doctors? Where are the... And, and I get the talking heads. I just think that this is a perp... This is an opportunity here, Doc, where we've got to have our best and brightest who are medical practitioners and who are scientists who are sharing the information with our audience to understand what's going on? Well, I mean, I think like a lot of things, I think the punditry class has gotten to be a lot about personality and who's popular and whose Instagram is popping and all those kinds of things. And so the people you want to talk to, like the virologists and the immunologists, um, folks like Dr. Graves, they're not necessarily on social media, right? They're not the people with agents, right, who know how to to do this and break into this. And they're easy to find. Like you said, they have internet, they have email addresses, they have um, websites often associated with them, particularly if they're at universities. We're very easy to find. Um, and most universities have speakers bureaus or any kind of communications office, but we don't often do that. It's easier to get the same old people that people know because to a certain extent, um, and this is not to be an insult, 
um, we're looking at professional black people, not people who are professions in their area. So we look at, you know, black pundits as sort of the Swiss army knives, and they can talk about everything, regardless of what their professional expertise may be. And I think we have to be very careful, particularly in this moment, not to do that, right? We can, I can talk about sort of the politics in the context around COVID-19, but I ha I don't know anything that Dr. Graves knows or what Dr. Hilton knows. I can't speak on it in that way. And they are important too. And I think um, in our interest in, in, in maybe making things more interesting or sexier, we go to the things that people know or the people that people know who have these followers who may tune in. And we are not thinking about the fact that there are these other folks who have a different kind of expertise that they can bring to this issue. And I think you're exactly right. Black people are very much astute and can be clear about who can say what or who knows what. But I think those same people who are trusted have to do the work and say, you know what, this is beyond my depth. I can talk about this much of this thing, but I need to actually leave it to some other people to bring you a different kind of information. And I think that's really important. So in this moment, I will say for all of us who are getting these phone calls and getting these requests, if you, it's not something that you know, say, you know what, I don't do this, but I know this person who can, or I can put you toward the people who can, because I think that's going to be really important to make a space for those people who do public health, who do other kinds of work epidemiologists and others um, to get in on this conversation. There are folks, black folks who do that work. You just have to find them. And you know, Rob, uh, I, I understand, look, we all get ratings. We know we need people to watch, uh, but, but here's the deal. And I'm just, I'm just gonna put it out there. I don't see white celebrities leading the dialogue when it comes to coronavirus to white folks. I don't see, and look, the same thing happens. Look, when you when talk about politics, okay? Same thing happens. It's this whole Absolutely. deal of, you know, uh, can we get Killer Mike? Can we get T.I.? Uh, and can we get uh, Diddy? And can we get Jay-Z? Can we get Beyonce? And white folks over here ain't talking about can we get George Clooney and Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt to lead voter mobilization? And I think what happens is when, when you are black media, black targeted, black owned media, I believe that you create the self-fulfilling prophecy when you believe that. And so what you do is you only feed your audience that as opposed to you say, no, no, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to feed you real experts. And you got to be willing to say, I might have a lower number of people who are watching today, but if I keep feeding you more and more and more experts, you're going to wake up and realize like, damn, they, 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 they're feeding me properly as opposed to somebody who, yes, who has a big Instagram following or social or Twitter uh, or Snapchat, but they can't give you information. Right. I mean, look, if, if we, Roland, want to actually disrupt these common narratives and constructs, we have to be different from mainstream media because, you know, mainstream media will do the same exact thing. And so when you're talking about black media, it's on us because nobody's coming to save us. So we have to actually do that. And, and again, as you said, I understand the ratings part, but then you could even be intentional about that. You know, my mother always said, if you got the microphone, make sure you do everything possible to give others opportunities and you use that amplifier. So uh, use it. Okay. If you're going to have Diddy up there, like you said, roll the doctor out next, but the point, but, but they, but that's not their intention. If your intention is only just to get more likes, more Instagram and not educate people, but to 
but to purely entertain them, then you're not going to do that. So, but we absolutely need that because you know if you have a huge following, you can do more with that following than just you know throw some entertainers up there to talk to us about something that they have no idea what they're talking about. We can. And you said he said it, and, and, I, and I'm glad you brought it up. They do the same thing in politics. There are people that know about it in the community, and they need to give others an opportunity because not because others just need an opportunity because they actually should put people up that are experts in these fields. You know, and, I, and, and the thing, Mustafa, was interesting. I remember um, uh, a few years ago, actually, it was, I think it was, it was in 2013, uh, when I left CNN, and there was this, um, there was a certain political scientist who, who decided to trash me, said, oh, and he was like, why y'all crying? Because Roland Martin's no longer going to be at CNN. Uh, why were they calling him anyway? He didn't know anything about politics. I, I bust out laughing, because I, re I respond, my clapback was, Hmm, I didn't realize a county government reporter, a former city hall reporter, somebody who covered politics in Dallas, Houston, in Texas, in Chicago, then D.C., didn't know about politics. I said, didn't realize one couldn't have that expertise when you've interviewed four United States presidents and multiple senators and members of Congress. I said, but maybe you just mad because nobody called you. Now, I mean, that that's expertise. The issue, but to, but to Dr. Carter's point, if we're having a conversation about, again, coronavirus replicating, yo, I ain't got nothing to say. Because I'm, look, I know y'all can sit there. Now, 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 Mustafa, you probably were following Dr. Gray's a little bit more closely than me, Rob, and Dr. Carter. But we were sitting there like, I don't know, what in the hell he talking about? But trust me, he the expert, so we just going to keep on listening. <laughs> Yeah, but that's why we have folks who can put it in a real talk for folks, you know, uh, as Joe Madison used to say. Put, put it where the ghost can get it. it. <laughs> yes. Exactly. You know, Rob brought up a good point right at the beginning when he was talking about how some folks in our communities, you know, believe that we could not be infected from the virus. And a part of that, of course, is the messaging that was going on or the lack of messaging that was happening at that time. You know, it's interesting also, you can tell who really wants to ride with you. So I started talking about the coronavirus because I talked to, because of the work I had done both inside and outside the country, I knew scientists who were in other countries. And they started reaching out to me and saying, hey, this is what's going on here. And we know that you've always been focused on vulnerable communities. You know, we want to make sure we're sharing this information with you. So it was like January 20th, I started talking about it. And I actually put together like a little one-pager, and I shot it out to all those different folks who had been, you know, I'd been on their shows and stuff before on CNN and MSNBC. Nobody got back to me. The one show where someone actually started talking about this was your show, um, and, you know, we began to unpack this over time. And that's why it's so critical that we have these types of platforms that have folks who really care about our communities, but also understand all the different dynamics that are going in, uh, you know, inside of our communities. You know, we talk about housing and transportation and jobs, and we talk about the environment, and we talk about systemic racism and how all of that comes together to create these challenges and is now playing out for the country. And, you know, it's amazing. People keep saying, well, and the president said, it's amazing what's happening to African Americans. I, I just never had any idea that this would be able to impact them like this. Well, if you had ever actually paid attention and spent any time in our communities, you would understand the challenges that were going on, and your policies would be reflective in helping to build our communities up. So he has responsibility, 
But the media also has responsibility because they, by not putting the voices of expertise on, are creating the same sort of disproportionate impacts. And, and, and you know, it, it's just, it's a shame, really. Um, and, and I'm so thankful to you for always having an open mind and always looking to bring in the new sort of aspects of the conversation along with the anchoring points that we know are going on in our community. So let me say this here, and let me be real clear, okay? I'm not taking shots at Didi or anyone else. I'm not. I know them. I'm glad they did their state of emergency. But what I want us to do, I want you, I want you to stop listening to some celebrity running off about 5G causing the coronavirus, okay? I want you to stop listening to the people just running their miles. Oh, this is how this thing was created. We have black expertise in our community. We have numerous people who can speak to these issues. We've got African-Americans who are in manufacturing of masks as well as gloves. We got African-Americans uh, who are out there uh, 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 developing their own tests. We've got African-Americans uh, who at the CDC who are working on this. We got African-Americans at HBCUs. See, th this is no different than, you could ask Dr. Greg Carr this. Whenever I watch these documentaries about something dealing with black history, do you know who I typically see? This African-American who's, who's at Harvard, this African-American who's at Yale, this African-American who's at Columbia, this African-American who's at Princeton. And again, y'all, I ain't go to HBCU. But I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, you mean tell me ain't no black experts at a HBCU? Gerald Horn is an unbelievable historian. He's at the University of Houston. I ain't never, out of all these black documentaries I see, I ain't never seen Gerald Horn in any of them. And his books are unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Yet, again, it's Princeton, it's Harvard, it's Yale, it's Columbia, or if it is somebody black, it's, it's the New Yorker, it's the New York Times, it's the Washington Post. And so what I'm trying to get us to understand is that then, then it's, okay, well, let's go get the black person at Duke, the black person at Georgetown. If you go to the black person on coronavirus at Georgetown, you can find a black person who's at, who's at, who's at Howard. Indeed. If you, can find, if you can find a white expert or even a black expert at Duke in North Carolina, you can find Dr. Graves in North Carolina A&T. And, so and so the other point is why these platforms matter. And again, it ain't bragging. As Joe Namath said, it ain't bragging if you can do it. The reality is there are more than 30 black people who you see on these networks who I put on. The platform matters because they are able to be able to showcase their expertise and their knowledge, and they're not going to ever get that first shot at a CNN or MSNBC. And so that's why it's important. So we need you to support us, what we do. Uh, so if you're watching on YouTube, we got more than 3,000 people watching on YouTube. Y'all can support us right there on YouTube. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our followers, folks. Contribute 50 bucks for Bring the Funk Fan Club a year. Show's totally funded. We don't have to rely on an advertiser dollar. We can be totally independent, but we've got to have this because I'm telling you right now, 
we're not trying to have a coronavirus conversation once every 60 days when thousands of black people are dead, then go, oh my goodness, there's an emergency. No, no, we're going to pound this thing every single night. And I'm just going to read for y'all a text that I got today. Uh, and, it, and I was blown away when I got it. Uh, this brother out of Alabama, and he said, you are incredible as far as always being on point and carrying an effective message for the people that need it most. Your message about not attending church hit home in Montgomery. People needed their eyes open as ministers were refusing to close the doors and use modern technology. Mayor Stephen Reed praised you for making a point effectively. Y'all, if we don't have our own platforms, we can't inform our people. And trust me, we don't, we don't, you don't get the same information that's specifically black for you on these other networks. That's why it's important. And so we appreciate all the support. We come back to show you a perfect example. Folks, there's a global pandemic in countries in Africa and the Caribbean are not exempt also, the Trump administration, why are they stopping and seizing masks and PPE targeted to these Caribbean countries? We'll talk to an expert next right here in Roller Martin Unfiltered. Changing the mind is very difficult on how way people act and how they grow up. But if you get somebody that makes it inspiring and you can motivate them and you can educate them, that's where you change the dynamics for the future of our children. I'm George Morales. I'm the constable of Precinct 4 here in Travis County. I'm raised in Southeast Austin, a community called Dove Springs. In the um, late 80s, early 90s, it was, uh, it was really hard in our community in Dove Springs. We had a lot of uh, gangs. Uh, and drugs that were being sold in our communities. You know, I came up in law enforcement, seeing uh, a lot of constables put themselves in the forefront. It's a community-based office. You know, you want to be out there amongst your community and show them the better side of law enforcement. Show them that, you know, hard work does pay off. I mean, that's constable work to me. As the president of the Dust Springs Advisory Board, um, our goal is helping the rec center grow, implement programs. We do events from Easter, which we have about 2,000 kids. The back to school bash, we did about 3,500 backpacks. I think a lot of kids may see him as a hero uh, because he gives back to the kids. It's like he's always talking to kids. He's always around youth. He knows that it's the next generation that's going to take over. I don't do this by myself. I was taught by my union that if we work together, things happen. If we speak up, things happen. Union is strength in numbers. And I bring those numbers from the Dustman's community, from the Precinct 4 community. And that's the union pride that I have. All right, then. We certainly want to thank AFSME for being uh, one of the partners here at Roland Martin Unfiltered. Their support has been invaluable. And so we appreciate the work that they do. Folks, as I said, this global pandemic uh, is affecting all kinds of different people, Africa and the Caribbean as well. And so check I got a text message. Um, I got this text message. Um, how many days ago? It was a couple of days. It was yesterday. And this was from uh, a high ranking official in the Bahamas. And um, I'm not going to pull it up because I, I don't want you to see their name. And the, um, what they sent me was this story. And the story talked about uh, the United States seizing Cayman medical supplies. Medical supplies that were headed to the Cayman Islands. And the person said, looks like we will have to go to China for supplies. The boat had arrived in Nassau 
and was ordered to return the supplies to the U.S. Sad thing is that before the virus was taken seriously, the U.S. sold these medical supplies to China. Mm. Then I talked about, then they said, no doubt the U.S. also is purchasing supplies from other countries, the privilege of the mighty. That was a question in today's White House briefing. And then Donald Trump tried to flip it to drugs. He did that. Joining us right now is foreign policy and national security professional Johanna LeBlanc. Johanna, glad to have you on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Um, uh, you are from Haiti. Um, you know many of these uh, leaders out here. Give us a sense of what's happening in these Caribbean countries, these African nations, uh, especially in the Caribbean, where the United States is playing, you know, God, uh, playing, hey, snatching equipment. I mean, that was a text message I got from a high-ranking official in the Baham Bahamian government. Roland Martin, um, thank you so much for having me on air this evening. Um, I've been on television throughout the continent of Africa discussing um, the impact of COVID-19 as it pertains to the continent. And um, besides what you just said about the seizing of, 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 of personal equipment to protect professionals during this crisis, there's another um, issue that needs to be discussed, and that is that is the repatriation of, of foreign nationals in the midst of this crisis. Um, the unfortunate reality is that the administration is sending folks back to their home country during this crisis. And we're talking about not individuals who have necessarily criminal records, but just individuals who may have entered into the country illegally or who may have overstayed their visas or whatnot. So what I've called, been calling for is, is the complete suspension of the repatriation of all foreign nationals during this crisis. And here is why. On one, um, we know in particular the continent of Africa, it is comprised of roughly 1.3 billion people, right? So sending someone back, let's say, for example, to Senegal, South Africa, or, or, or Nigeria could further, um, sending a group of individuals rather to those countries could further exacerbate, exacerbate the, the, the existing issues in the country. In particular, the administration says that folks are being tested prior to the departure um, to their respective countries. Um, and even if that were true, we know that the incubation period is 14 days. So by sending those folks back to their countries in a time like this, um, it um, certainly undermines um, the, the, the national security and the safety and health of all citizens. And also, it could have serious economic implications. We understand that those countries already have fragile um, you know, economies um, um, in some of these countries, um, the, the population, because of lack of health care, because of systemic um, racism, as we say right here in the United States, um, people have not always yeah, been able to receive um, the help that they need um, in health care wise. Um, so, but unfortunately, a lot of these governments are just not in the position to negotiate with a superpower like the United States. So they are left with no options but to accept these foreign nationals. But the reality is that by law, um, there is actually no law that requires um, those countries to accept their citizens, uh, other than um, usually what's done through an agreement under the Vienna Convention consular 
um, Act of 1963, it is essentially an agreement between those foreign states with the State Department saying that when it comes time to re re repatriate your citizens, this is what we will do as the United States government, and this is what you're going to do. So oftentimes, those countries, um, especially the United States, has, has to rely on diplomatic avenues in order to make that happen. Um, again, there is no actual obligation. But however, comma, what people need to be aware of is the reality that um, sometimes countries are slapped with, with a sanction um, for not um, repatriating their, um, um, their citizens, right? And a lot of these small countries with already fragile economies are just not in a position economically to be slapped with an international international sanction from the richest country in the world, the United States of America. So they are left with no um, resort but to accept um, their nationals. So I think that is something that needs to be brought to the forefront and needs to be discussed. I know that Senegal was um, re Senegal received uh, a number of its nationals. Uh, earlier in March, um, but I'm not sure if they've continued to maintain that, that, that process. And then there are so many other countries, and, and we need to shed light on this, on this matter. And I think now is just not the time to repatriate citizens, because we don't know whether or not these folks are infected, because there have been a number of articles out there showing that a lot of these detention facilities where you keep um, immigrants um, have are those people are exposed to the virus um, and even our prisons here in the United States as well. Um, so we don't want to further put those foreign those um, uh, those not foreign countries at risk by repatriating um, the, um, it's their citizens back to their country. So it needs to be discussed. Advocates needs to continue to raise um, alarm, to um, ask Congress to perhaps, um, you know, through the next stimulus um, legislation, um, perhaps restrict the use of, of funding for the purpose of deportation at this time until further notice, um, right? Because I think it is the humane thing to do to hold off on deportation in the midst of a global health crisis. For goodness sakes, those countries are already dealing with how to properly respond to this disaster, and now they have to worry about accepting folks who could potentially be infected by the virus. Hold tight one second. This was the question that took place at today's news conference. I'm going to bring my panel in as well. And so, Henry, go to my iPad. Views on what they think. Also, very important, different parts of the country. Because you go to the Midwest, it's different than perhaps the East Coast or the West Coast. Now, the West Coast, those numbers are really pretty amazing on the West Coast. Very interesting. So we're going to be announcing that in a very short while, probably Tuesday. Go ahead, please. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, government officials in Latin American and Caribbean nations, uh, Bahamas, Cayman Islands, have been saying that U.S. authorities are blocking the shipment of PPE in certain cases, and I'm wondering if you could speak to that as well, what, what is they're doing? We have a tremendous force out there, naval force, and we're blocking the shipment of drugs. So maybe what they're doing is stopping ships that uh, they want to look. We're not blocking. What we're doing is we're making sure we don't want drugs in our country. And especially with the over 160 miles of wall, it's getting very hard to get through the border. They used to drive right through the border like 
They owned it. And in a certain way, they did. They could drive right. They had human trafficking. They had all of a sudden, they have a powerful wall up. And they're not driving through that wall. That wall is tough. And it's also uh, loaded up with equipment, cameras and sensors and everything you can think of. Uh, on top of that, we have drones flying back and forth over it. So, so it's in very, a very powerful, it's a very powerful barrier between Mexico and the United States. Uh, a lot of people, though, what they're doing now is they're trying to come in through the waterways, whether it's the Gulf or the ocean itself. And what we're doing is we're being very tough. And we're being tough because of drugs and also human trafficking. And remember, the human trafficking is mostly females. It's mostly females. It's horrible. And what we're seeing is horrible. But you have a big — we have a human trafficking, human trafficking problem worldwide, the likes of which, you know, you think of it as an ancient thing. It's not ancient. It's bigger now than it's ever been before over the last 10 years because of the Internet. The Internet made human trafficking to the extent that it is now, which is massive. The Internet the internet made it so big. So uh, we are we have a, a big naval force that's stopping. So maybe uh, when you mention that, maybe their ships are getting caught. But we are we are stopping a lot of ships and we're finding a lot of drugs. Uh, yeah, please. Okay, uh, Mustafa, did you hear that? Again, and, and all all these media people did pick up on that. So here you have leaders in Latin America and the Caribbean. Talking about ships being stopped and masks and other things being stolen, being basically seized, he gets asked about it. He goes right to drugs. I mean, literally, I'm I'm, I'm reading this story here uh, of a uh, of a. Here's a story here. Representative of a local shipping company is dismayed after being told by U.S. officials that they will not be allowed to access imported medical supplies to help in the fight against the deadly COVID-19 virus. Manager of Betty K. Nancy Cartwright told, told the Tribune early on Wednesday that the company was hired to bring in three containers of medical supplies, including personal protective equipment kits for local health care workers. After the shipment left the U.S. on Tuesday, Mrs. Cartwright said representatives received a notice from U.S. Coast Guard officials saying they would not be able to access the medical supplies due to a recent order implemented by U.S. President Donald Trump. She said, quote, once the vessel left the port of Miami yesterday, we got instruction from the U.S. Coast Guard and Border Protection that the president put an order in for April 3rd that medical supplies, mainly PPE, are not allowed to leave the United States of America for export. So we are not allowed to manifest those three containers, nor can we offload them. We have to send them straight back to Miami for offloading. The ship is coming in today. It's already in today, but we are not allowed to offload those containers. They are to stay on the vessel and go back to the United States. This is impacting black people in the Bahamas, in Jamaica, in Haiti. That's what's happening with this order. Now, what's crazy, Mustafa, is that they're doing this, but... Am I the only one who remembers a news conference of them talking about shipping the United States? Pompeo said we ship 19 tons of medical equipment to China. Well, you know, the amazing thing is that people have such short memories. The president has shared with the country exactly what he thinks about black and brown countries. We know what he said about Africa, and I won't repeat the, the word that he used. Shithole countries. 
Exactly. We know how he feels about the folks in Haiti. He's shared that many, many times. Um, and, you know, when we had the hurricane that came through and was devastating parts of the Bahamas and people were trying to escape and come to our country, he blocked that for a little while. In, uh, you know, in Puerto Rico, which is a part of the United States, they utilized a number of different acts to slow the resources that needed to get to Puerto Rico. And Puerto Rico is a part of the United States. The president has shown people who he is. I don't know why people think that the leopard, you know, his spots are going to change. He's shared exactly how he feels about black and brown people and black and brown countries. And he will utilize everything that he has to be able to maximize profits. So if they can move or hold on a product and they can get a higher price for it, then of course others might be able to pay. Then, you know, this is the, he is the ultimate when it comes to capitalism. Uh, even if it's disaster capitalism or epidemic capitalism. Dr. Carter, Rob, and then back to Johanna. Uh, I'm, um, I'm, I'm reading, uh, Henry, if you can go to my phone here. I plugged it into my phone here. So I'm going to uh, read this story here, see if I can turn it. It will be better. Okay. Uh, this is what it says. Um, Jordan Stubblefield, first of all, the United States finally released um, the ship. Jordan Stubblefield, head of sales at Blue Water, which is the one of the distributors for the Cayman Island Health Services Authority Medical Supplies, said more than 100 people behind the scenes, ranging from government, the governor's office, and the HSA, were successful in getting the items returned. They explained that, um, uh, that on Friday, U.S. President Donald Trump invoked the Defense Production Act to ban the export of critical medical gear. But we sent 19 tons to China, Rob. This is the quote. We showed them that the items that were being shipped down, the invoices predated the executive mandate. However, they told us going forward, nothing related to COVID-19 that originates in the U.S. can leave, but items can transit through. Here's my problem, Rob. Okay. As Johanna said, you're trying to send people back so you can actually spread coronavirus potentially to other countries unnecessarily. And now you're preventing these countries from getting supplies from the United States, but Canada relies on the very same supplies from the United States. Yeah, I mean, you can always say, you can always tell what Trump is up to. It's, this is pretty simple. He's doing this because of his incompetence and because of all the mistakes he made, he cost lives in the United States. He caused lives many other places too, but he definitely caused lives in the United States here. So uh, whenever he's in trouble, he finds a way to blame it on black and brown people. It's somebody else's fault. So he's using, he's talking about drugs, black and brown people to keep people distracted because it's 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 worked for him. It's how he became president of the United States. And he's hoping that he can keep using this trick to stay elected, to keep people distracted from the fact that he messed this up. Uh, he called it a hoax. And it's and it's the worst, it's the worst pandemic any of us have, have ever seen within any of our lifetimes. So he's just trying to distract and keep people motivated by race and hope that people's racism will be distracted by what's actually going on. Dr. Carter, I just don't want us to ignore, we, we're gonna talk, we talk on this show about black people uh, in this country dying from coronavirus, but I don't want us to ignore that we're leaving um, Caribbean nations, African nations left to fend for themselves as well. Oh, absolutely, and I mean, I think, um, all the points that folks hit on is exactly right. I mean, he wants to hoard these materials 
But then he also says to the American people, I'm not a shipping clerk. So states have to figure it out how they're going to actually get these materials. I mean, we saw what the governor of Massachusetts had to do with Bob Kraft to get around this kind of stuff. So he's not above doing this to his own country. So what do you think he's going to do to these smaller nations that he knows that we're bigger than in terms of military, we're stronger than? He doesn't care about those places. And to a certain degree, I think he views this as sort of nature running its course. And if these people can't make it and they can't figure it out, then, oh, well, the world is better for it. So I don't have any doubt that a man would, that would treat his own citizens this way would have any compunction about treating these Caribbean nations this way. And like you said, he isn't here to stem the spread. He's here to make money. This is the same reason he is trying to test um, this malaria drug on prisoners Right, because this is a company that he has investments or at least some entanglements with. It's the same reason that now he's trying to keep 3M from shipping N95 masks around the world, because he wants to make a buck. And that's what he cares about. He doesn't care about health and safety and flattening the curve. Johan, he cares right. about trying to make as much money as possible. And Johanna, when we talk about, again, what is happening with those supplies, and now when you talk about uh, trying to send people back, uh, it, 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 it is mind-boggling, but look, even with happening with ICE, I mean, they, I, mean, I remember in early March, I mean, ICE was targeting people in the midst of this, not even thinking about this pandemic, uh, and executing all sorts of crazy, and they finally were, you know, the dogs were called off, um, but this is just the nonsense that, 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 that you're seeing in this country. Yeah, outside of um, the issues around immigration, um, uh, as it relates to COVID-19, um, as we see the United States and Italy and, and other super um, and other nations that are considered to be superpower nations are, are struggling um, in order to, to properly respond um, to, to this, to, to this um, global health crisis. So can you imagine countries um, that are um, in Africa, um, how difficult it is for governments to properly respond, especially when it comes to the notion of social distancing. Um, social distancing um, is a privilege um, for even in the United States, for some of us, it's a privilege. But you can only imagine how much more difficult it is in um, developing countries, especially in urban settings. Um, so in, in, in Africa, um, many of, of the countries, um, for some of the citizens, um, it's, it's either I leave my house um, and, and I go find food or I stay home and die of starvation or I die of coronavirus right. um, because they just don't have some of them just don't have the resources to actually stay home, right? Um, so those equipments, um, they, 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 they are needed for those African nations. Um, and and, and the, the research um, has shown that in order to properly fight this infection, social distancing is critical, as well as testing. Um, um, I think a lot of the countries in, in, um, throughout the continent are not doing enough testing. Right now, the country that is leading in infections um, is um, South Africa. Um, the numbers are relatively not low um, for the continent, which 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 is good, uh, but it's it, it's still too early to tell. And another thing that works um, that some could say that worked to the favor of of the continent is that the research tells us that folks um, who are um, really impacted by this virus are one um, individuals with compromised immune system, right, and two. 
um, those who are 65 years of age or older, the continent of Africa, the average age is 19 years old. So that could work to the continent's um, advantage. But again, it's still too early to, to, call, to, to make a call. You got it. But one last point I would like to make is that... Real quick, I got 30 seconds. I got 30 we seconds. Have, we have... I got 30 seconds. Go. Just like we have bailout private companies and private institutions, I think that the government should bail out um, countries in, 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 in Africa as well as in the Caribbean by providing some kind of, kind of relief um, when it comes to their debt through the IMF and other institutions so that they will be able to use those funds to rebuild their countries and strengthen their institutions, in particular, the healthcare system. Because it's not Got a it. matter of if we're going to have a global health crisis like this, it's when, and we need to be ready and prepared. All right, Jahan LeBlanc, we still appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, I want to thank also uh, Dr. Carter, as well as Mustafa and Rob for joining us on our panel. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. All right, folks, I'm going to try to see if I can pull this up real quick here. Uh, guys, can you get the, uh, can you get the uh, audio on your end, or you, get, or you don't see the video? What are you getting? You got, you got, uh, you got, uh, you, you have the audio of, uh, uh, okay, we have the, well, I'm trying to see if I can pull up co the comedian Godfrey. Uh, all right, go, go ahead and pull him up. Let's see here. Uh, let's see how we can get the audio works. Uh, Y'all got the audio? Godfrey, go ahead and talk. Let's see. We're trying. Yeah, we're yeah. We're trying to. Uh, we're trying to see if we get uh, get the uh, why the audio is not uh, going. Y'all got the audio? Uh, Godfrey, keep talking. Hello, hello. One, two, three, four, five. Hello. Now, for some reason, the uh, audio is actually for some reason the audio is only coming. It's not coming through the HDMI cable. It's only uh, on here on the iPad. So I was trying to pull Godfrey up, y'all. We would try, try to have comedians every Friday on the show to have a little fun and this whole coronavirus uh, drama. Uh, so, uh, so Godfrey, what we'll do is uh, we'll, we'll, we'll lock you in because uh, next week uh, you don't have FaceTime. You still got a broke-ass Android. Um, but, uh, but what we'll do is uh, we'll, we'll get you on Skype, and so we'll get, get you in. We'll try to maybe use Zoom as well get you in. So I was trying to squeeze you in this Friday, but uh, this app is not properly working with audio. So we can't play you over the air. And so it's only playing on the iPad. So we're going to hook it up for next Friday, okay? All right. All right, my brother. I'll, we'll talk soon. All right, y'all. So uh, what we're doing is uh, I'm going to bring back, uh, there was a segment we had on uh, News One Now. Uh, it was called Wildin' Out Wednesday. And so we're going to bring it back. So we're going to have comedians uh, on the show every Wednesday and Friday on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Because you know what, look, we talk a whole lot about uh, talk a whole lot about uh, you know the coronavirus and all the heavy stuff, but sometimes we also gotta uh, have some light stuff as well. And so we're gonna do that uh, on the show. Um, don't forget, folks. Uh, all somebody said you better get Google Duo. Yeah, I got Google Duo, but the problem is so okay. Just so you understand from a tech te technical standpoint, normally when you have your HDMI plugged in, it sends audio and video to whatever your source. For some reason, Google doesn't do that. Uh, and so it was sending video, but it wasn't sending audio. The audio was only coming through the iPad, and y'all can't hear it, so it got sent through the control room. So we're going to figure that out. Uh, that's what we'll do. Uh, don't forget, folks, if you're going to uh, look, skip church this weekend. We don't want any of y'all uh, putting yourself in harm's way, uh, getting ill. We just simply cannot uh, tolerate that. Uh, speaking of church, civil rights icon Dr. Henry, Harry Blake, pastor emeritus at Mount Canaan Baptist Church in Shreveport, Louisiana, died on Wednesday at the age of 85. Blake's daughter, Monica Blake Mickle, uh, said in the March 27th Facebook post that
that her father was exposed to the coronavirus and was ill but improving. She added that his results had not been confirmed. Blake's oral history is on record at the Library of Congress. His childhood was spent on Louisiana plantation in the 1930s and 40s. He went on to become a leader in the civil rights movement in Shreveport and joined the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in 1960 after hearing a speech by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. at Bishop College in Texas, where he was a student. Blake put his life on the line during the movement in the 1960s in October 1960 while driving home after the SCLC's three-day annual convention in Shreveport. A car pulled up beside him and a gunman fired into his window, shattering the glass. In 1962, he and SCLC Executive Director Wyatt T. Walker were arrested for loitering after trying to negotiate with police for the removal of citizens, council members at the Little Union Baptist Church. While president of the local chapter of the NAACP, he was jailed for his role in a series of sit-ins and lunch counters in July 1963. He spent his life advocating for black people. Uh, Dr. Reverend Dr. Harry Blake will certainly be missed. All right, folks, uh, be sure to have an absolute safe weekend. Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. Spend time with your family. Look, social distancing, don't congregate. Be safe. Mask, gloves, because we want to see you. We want you protected and taken care of and safe. I'll see you guys on Monday. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.